0: Hi there, I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. With us today is the one, the only, Jefferson Smith. Hi. So last he is week the only. He is the only. Well, I think so. Smith is a pretty common name. Uh, we had a listener question that was really awesome last week that led us to talk briefly about where we humans as a species originated. The topic is fascinating. So in today's episode, we're gonna look into it a little bit deeper.
1: You might think that the traits that make humans unique among the primates, like walking upright, using tools, and thinking abstractly indicates that our development was rapid and sudden, uh, which would be made possible by a huge, unanticipated change in the genetic code."
0: Or, if you've watched 2001 A Space Odyssey too many times, you might think that huge genetic leap was the result of some outside meddling by a weird
1: alien monolith. (laughs) That was a weird monolith. (laughs)
2: It was the bluegrass version.
1: <laughs> there it is coming down from the sky to give us all of our there traits., we go. that sounds more like evolution.
0: Thanks, aliens. <laughs> but in fact, human evolution is no different from the evolution of all species. It happened slowly and surely. Over countless generations,
2: don't call me Shirley.
0: Our ancestors developed the right adaptations to survive and flourish in their changing environment, and those traits have continued to be useful until the present day.
1: While we are animals who, just like every other animal, derived from the single celled organisms who lived billions of years ago, it's undeniable that humans have evolved in some incredibly advantageous ways. Some of the adaptations humans have been fortunate enough to undergo have been genetic and therefore physical, while some changes have been behavioral adaptations.
0: Today on Everything is Interesting, we're going to explore three key advantageous adaptations of early humans, walking on two legs, having thumbs, and the development of complex brains.
1: Before we delve into humans' evolutionary past, let's take a moment to talk about the theory of evolution itself. Evolution does not refer to the changes that occur over the course of a single individual's lifetime but rather the inherited traits within a population that are adopted over many generations.
0: Right. Just because you become really good at bluegrass doesn't mean that you've evolved it just means you've learned something. Adaptation, you're going to be amazing at bluegrass. Adaptation is the pillar of evolution. Biological adaptations occur because due to a combination of the chance emergence of a physical or behavioral trait and changes in the natural environment that make that trait more advantageous to have. As our environments change, species either thrive or die out, depending on how well they're suited for that environment. Those that survive pass on their unique genetic traits to their offspring.
1: Traditional genetic changes happen by accident. The mechanism within each cell that copy DNA to make a new second cell makes mistakes, just like we all do. Mistakes within DNA means new genes are invented, and that means new physical traits. Whoa. What is happening in that video over there? there's a big
2: ping pong match.
1: <laughs> so, think of it like this. You build a house from a set of blueprints. Then you want to build a second house, but you need another set of blueprints. So you have someone copy them by hand. There's a lot of precise information to be copied, so the likelihood is that a few measurements or features will accidentally get mistranscribed during the process. Inevitably, the second house you build from the new set of blueprints will have slightly different features. And this is how living things evolve over time, one tiny feature at a time.
0: Parents pass genetic changes onto their offspring, and if they're traits that help those offspring survive, then the offspring grow up and pass them on again. In this way, genetic adaptations spread throughout a population over a long period of time. That is, until the environment shifts again, and then other different traits become advantageous. Over generations, these genetic changes, which manifest eventually as physical changes, can alter a species, such as us humans. You know, like our methods of survival, including what we eat, how we grow, and where we can live.
2: Okay, so I think what you've just said is that you have a theory called evolution. A theory called evolution. Because
0: everything is a theory.
2: And the and and it's at odds with intelligent design. So the theory is is just, just, your theory is is not intelligent unintelligent design. And it is not. One, <laughs> and,
1: and, and, it is actually kind of
2: true. And you and you call into question Lamarck's basic principles that a giraffe's child has a long neck because the giraffe had to crane its neck so much to reach a higher branch. I think this is what I understand.
1: Right. I love it that when he tries to impress us with things like Lamarck's principles. <laughs> it makes me really happy. It makes me feel like we're worth impressing, and that makes me happy. Yeah, it's
0: less about the giraffe being able to stretch his neck, and so the neck gets longer, and then it, you know his baby is born with a longer neck, and more about those giraffes with longer necks were able to reach the food, and therefore those giraffes survived, passed on their longer neck genes, and that's and so why Darwin is course.
2: famous. Is because he said right. uh, that Lamarck was wrong. It's not about stretchy <laughs> it is, necks. I, it's well, about long necked kids living.
0: I think he was famous because they're he famous. was the first one to observe this. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's more what he said famous.
1: for epigenetics, but we'll talk about that in a different show because if we start talking about epigenetics, that is going to take the next 20 minutes. It is of our interesting, lives. though.
2: I am holding a candle for Lamarck, but keep going on <laughs> this <a> fascinating conversation.
1: <laughs> Very kind of All you. All right, let's, let's okay. go back to our evolution. Yes, so from what we know about the human lineage, it diverged from the other great apes, a group that includes chimpanzees and gorillas, some 7 to 13 million years ago. It is important to note that this does not mean that we evolved from chimpanzees. Mm -mm. Instead, the lineage of the great apes and the lineage of the humans split off from a common ancestor around this time.
0: This is why there is no so-called missing link between humans and apes like chimpanzees. It's because apes and humans developed separately, descending from their common ancestor, and each kind of going their own separate evolutionary way. And who was that common ancestor? That is still a mystery.
1: The mystery. Mm. One thing that distinguishes us from our ape cousins is that we walk around all the time on two legs pretty cool.
0: And it was around 4 million years ago in Africa that the earliest known human-like species, here we go, Australopithecus amensis, is thought to have emerged. We call them the first pre-human primates simply because their skeletal structure indicates that they were the first to have walked on two
1: legs for most of the time. The switch from walking on all fours to walking on two legs became necessary when, as we discussed last week, what were once lush African forests changing into vast open grasslands where walking was more advantageous than tree climbing. And luckily, these pre-human primates happened to have a bone structure that could support long-distance walking.
0: With forests becoming more dispersed, so also was our sources of food. And a species that Mm -hmm. could conserve energy while walking long distances to find such food had a much better chance of surviving. Recent research with chimpanzees has shown that it takes 75% less energy to walk on two legs than it does to walk on four. So this trait became advantageous in our new grassland homes.
2: From what I understand, this walking thing—it's like what humans do best in terms of comparative advantage. In terms, of like comparing us with other species, it's like we don't deal with the cold as well. We're like not as big <laughs> We're as a. Pink
0: and fragile. There's a lot of things yeah, that can beat
2: us, these. but we can like walk and run very long distances better than other mammals. This is my understanding.
1: Yeah, some some of us can. Yeah, <laughs> some, some of us,
0: us can, and if it's <laughs> I think it's it's specifically the ability to walk for a very long time. Yeah, you know, because like the cheetah, well, they beat us, but oh no, short, no, we, 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 we,
2: all sorts of folks beat us in a race, but <laughs> but we 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 can sweat a lot. I think it helps. The we, sweating
0: does help, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: All right, so that and that helped us stay alive. Like when because we had we wouldn't be able to be in a tree, and when there weren't trees, we could walk around. We have bones. Like okay, I'm with you. Keep going. This is good.
1: <laughs> we got bones. So that actually brings us to our next uh, topic, which is that walking around on two legs had another pretty important impact. It freed our hands up for the eventual use of tools. And we owe our ability to craft and utilize tools to one of our greatest adaptations, the opposable thumb. I'm giving the thumbs up right now.
0: The word word opposable. Same brain. Opposable refers to the fact that our thumb is positioned opposite our other fingers, and that allows them to touch This makes it possible for us to hold and manipulate objects with precision and to complete small, detailed tasks.
1: But our ability to manipulate objects with precision is only half the story. Recent research has suggested that being able to have a precise grip with the non-dominant hand, so if you're a right-hander, that's your left hand, is the other equally important advantage we gain from having opposable thumbs.
0: The dexterity in one hand allows us to, say, carefully chip away at a stone to shape it. But a firm cupped or wraparound grip on the stone with a stabilizing hand is what actually makes the meticulous rock shaping
1: possible. The first ancestor to have this two-finger precision grip was Homo habilis, the first species of prehuman, who emerged about two and a half million years ago. It's possible that our human ancestors were making wooden tools before this, but it's hard to find evidence of this because, you know, organic material like wood breaks down well before it can reach the age of two and a half million years.
0: Homo habilis makes sense as a tool wielding pre-human species, though, because it had a larger, more complex brain than its its immediate ancestors. This is a likely indication that habilis had the intelligence to invent new uses for this precision grip, like manipulating the objects around it. Thus far, humans are the only known species to have a precise enough handhold and the creativity to craft systematic and highly efficient tools.
1: The oldest known human-crafted stone tools fall under two categories. Sharp, knife like objects known as flake tools gave us the ability to butcher large animals, and blunt edged core tools probably served as multi purpose gadgets that could hammer, chop, and dig.
0: The behavioral adaptation of using tools may have also led to a major shift in the diets of early humans. Humans, as we know, are omnivores. We eat all kinds of different animals and plants. But before tools, it's likely we're all mostly vegetarian and that any meat that we did eat was only what could be scavenged from the leftovers of larger predators like lions. So stone tools allowed us the ability to hunt, gather, and prepare food much more efficiently than before.
1: Another major change in our dietary habits followed the discovery of how to control fire. Heating food over a fire made a much larger percentage of the calories absorbable to us, as cooked food requires much less energy for our bodies to break down. A cooked steak requires less chewing, as well as less molecular breakdown by stomach acid and digestive enzymes.
0: So with tools and fire, we no longer needed the large teeth and jaws of the past to break food down so thoroughly, nor did we need such long and complex digestive systems. So over generations, our behavioral adaptations changed the physical appearance of our faces and our bodies.
2: So my, OK, so the question fascinating question is, do we think there were? And you said there's no evidence yet, but one question I have takeaway away, is that maybe this idea that early human-ish folks used stone tools just because their wooden tools went away, and maybe they used all kinds. The other was, the question that I had, though is, what does this mean for the paleo diet? This idea that you have that we started out as vegetarians might cut against these people, and say, "No, just eat meat because that's what we're supposed to eat." Although I guess I, Paleo eats vegetables too. I recently
1: too. read a very interesting article that addressed this very topic of the Paleo diet, or like, I mean, Paleo is not the only sad diet where it's like this is what we used to eat and this is what you should eat. And basically, the premise of the article was what you ate totally depended on where you were. So if you, look I used to eat to TV dinners. Eat, Exactly because you lived inside a TV. I mean, it depends on where you are. And, you know, I mean, humans didn't didn't evolve as, like, one tribe of ten individuals, right? I mean, we were a huge population, a huge species. I mean, to say that sparrows in New York eat the same thing as sparrows in California is kind of silly. It totally depends on what's available to you and what what you you know is in front of you and and also we i don't know that we were ever strictly vegetarians i don't i think you know i mean a a lot of the the primates eat bugs and and whatever they can get their hands on Mm. i I don't know that there was ever a time that we strictly ate meat and vegetables i think we're we're opportunists when it comes to food but don't quote me on that because i'm (laughs) not a I'm not a paleontologist, nor did I live 2.5 million right. years But the ago, likelihood so. is
0: that a lot of our food was, for a time, a, a lot of vegetation, a lot of leaves and fruits and things. Um, it doesn't mean that that's all we would eat, because I think you we would have taken advantage of whatever we could have gotten calories from. Um,
1: exactly, exactly. And also,
0: to, to mention in what you said about the stone tools, I think, just to be clear, what, from the research that we were reading, it was less that—I don't believe it was that they turned to stone tools because we lost wooden tools, it's just that there is less evidence— of the wooden tools. Well, I just like the idea that maybe
2: we had other kinds of tools.
0: Oh, you like that we had a diverse... Maybe we did. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably easier to whittle a knife.
1: There's there's debate among... anthropologists about what we use there's there's one anthropologist that really likes to push the idea that we used bones as tools and then other anthropologists say no there's absolutely no way that that happened and I, i don't know i don't again i don't know enough about it but i do know enough to say that if you would like to go on a true paleo diet then what you need to do is walk down the street in no clothing and eat whatever you find in people's trash cans and front yards that is the true paleo diet Ooh, what about plugs?
2: a hurricane spin scrubber? They have those kind of tools? I want to know how like diverse the tools became. Is that like the
1: grout router thing? <laughs> you, just, you just,
0: like the little electric toothbrush you can clean grout Yeah, and, and like with?
2: the gator grip. I'm sure that zoom. that
0: was actually very crucial to our survival way back when, you know, yep. we were walking around we'll naked eating it. everything that came in front of us.
2: The speed out <laughs> screw extractor. All the things we see on TV. I lived in a TV. What about our thumbs? <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Can we next episode be about Jefferson living in a TV? No. Let's take a creative spin. Okay. Okay. We've derailed. Let's get back. Let's get back to this conversation about thumbs. Because dexterous hands are what allowed us to create tools, harness fire, and eventually led to the changes in our physique. Opposable thumbs are not unique to humans more than a few animals have them like the great apes the koalas pandas even the waxy monkey tree frog
0: and for the most part these animals use their grasping ability for simple activities like picking up objects or hanging from tree branches but researchers have also found that some especially primates are actually capable of using their thumbs to also craft and manipulate tools just like we do
1: chimpanzees use their thumbs to strip branches clean and create termite fishing poles Bonobos bathe with absorbent sponges made of moss. Moss. Mandrills have been observed (laughs) fashioning sticks into a point and then using them to clean dirt from under their fingernails. So cool. important
0: stuff. So cool. So what then separated us from other animals with opposable thumbs? Why did we end up harnessing fire and cooking tender steaks while the koala is still hanging out in a tree chewing on leaves? Well, the answer may lie in our supersized brains.
1: There's nothing wrong with hanging out in a tree and chewing on leaves. I do it often. But the increase, the increase of protein in our diet that began 2 million years ago, coupled with the fact that we no longer needed to expend quite so much energy finding food, gave our bodies a chance to devote metabolic energy to things like increasing the size of our bodies and, most notably, our brains. So what aspect of our brains make humans so unique and contribute to our survival?
0: Well, the development of large, complex brains bestowed humans with the ability not only to complete complex tasks, but to conceptualize doing these tasks in the first place, and to work as teams to get large jobs done.
1: Homo habilis, the same pre-human who invented stone tools, is credited with having developed a large Broca's area, which is a section of the frontal cortex that allows us to process language. As humans developed the ability to travel long distances on two legs, their populations slowly spread out into new regions of the globe and began facing new and different challenges. The individuals that had a better chance at surviving those new challenges were those that had larger parts of the brain associated with memory, creativity, problem solving, and analyzing sensory information. Let's focus
0: for a minute on two types of neurons that are thought to have emerged in our ancestors' brains between 15 and 20 million years ago. And they shaped humans into social animals who assisted in one another's survival. These neurons are called mirror neurons and spindle neurons.
1: Mirror neurons fire when we watch another person complete an action, have an emotion, or react to an event. These cells are responsible for making you smile when you see someone else smiling and give you the ability to intuit someone's true emotions even when they don't verbally communicate it. Mirror cells are imperative for social learning and empathy, which are pillars of a functional society. And a functional social group can stage elaborate hunts, they can share food and childcare responsibilities, and overall they have a much greater chance of survival than an individual on its own. And furthermore, mirror neurons likely played a huge role in the development of human language, as many researchers speculate that speaking was an obvious outcome of the struggle to understand each other's thoughts and emotions. That's still such a struggle. So
0: spindle neurons, (laughs) which are unique to a few large mammals but are disproportionately present in humans, are long gangly cells that cover long spans of the brain and can convey a message to many other neurons very quickly. When the cortex of your brain generates a socially inspired emotion like empathy, guilt, or love, then the spindle cell transmits that emotion to the rest of your brain and makes sure your whole body acts accordingly.
1: John Allman, arguably the world's leading expert on spindle cell research, has proposed that these neurons make both self-awareness and social awareness possible and play a big part in our cognitive abilities like understanding problem-solving, visual and spatial processing, and language comprehension.
0: Collaboration and cooperation made possible only by social communication and language have been imperative in creating the technology, architecture, and art that defines our human culture.
2: All right, so a few of my takeaways. That bonobos are the ones who have sex a lot, I'm pretty sure. We didn't say that, but
1: I'm glad you took that away from the conversation.
2: That the brain is supposed to be used with the hands. And that mirror neurons are related to why social proof is so powerful and why Donald Trump says everybody thinks that person is a loser or a lot of people are saying that person is a loser.
0: You know, Jefferson, you get your creativity from your giant complex brain. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, man. Because I, I don't know even, where you get this stuff. So many directions to take TV. this right now. <laughs> right, from living inside a TV all your life and only First eating TV tr- dinners.
1: Please don't use your brain with your hands I mean, I understand what you're saying Use your brain in in conjunction with your hands But please don't open up your head and use your brain with your hands Unless you're a surgeon,
2: no, I, um, but I, I find it sort of an interesting thing that, that to understand that the opposable thumb was related to the development of the brain, that that using our bodies was re- rather than the brain was some sort of separate I, separate thing, separate from our physical life. You know, they're connected. I find that interesting.
0: Yeah, a lot of these adaptations actually seem to be less of you know one begat another begat another, and and they all kind of happen in conjunction with one another.
1: Well, and, and I think that's the whole point of of the show, right? That's our thesis. I think is that you know, one by one, these little adaptations don't really amount to much. I mean, having an opposable thumb is great, but like we said, if you're a koala, you just sit in a tree and eat leaves all day. It's just that humans have been fortunate enough to have all of these advantageous adaptations happen in a relatively short span of time, and by relatively short, I mean, you know, millions of years and not billions of years. Um, But yeah, all these things have to happen in conjunction if you want to create smartphones and paint Picasso paintings, you what know? What
2: about my tonsils and my appendix?
1: What about them? That's What's the
0: question? Why do we have them? Show. Oh, that is another show.
2: All right, that is another show.
0: <laughs> that actually, we should do that show. That's pretty interesting. The things that we still have that we no longer need. What? Shout Apparently. out to
2: other important adaptations. Maybe
0: one day we'll need them again. Who knows? But about the appendix,
1: don't we still not know why we have an appendix? Yeah, I'm i feel not like sure. that's something we figure this out. This a and good question. It was I didn't
2: ask about the tailbone because I think we know why we have a tailbone.
1: Because it's awesome, Cause, yeah. Because
2: we used to have tails. I think. I think that's why.
1: The,
0: these are all <laughs> seriously. This is this is like the makings of the next show. I reason. used to. The one.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know. That's. I. There's so many. We need like eight thousand shows. Okay. So. Let's get back to ourselves. I almost said monkeys. (laughs) We're not monkeys.
2: We just have a common ancestor. There's not a missing link in that respect. Just we're missing the common ancestor.
0: Yeah, and hopefully one day we'll find it. We'll, We'll dig up that fossil and we'll make that connection. Find
2: out if she has a tail.
1: So if you take anything away from this show, it's that we're not just monkeys that were genetically altered by a giant alien brought monolith. It's all evolution. Anyway, we've only exposed the tip of the iceberg of human evolution, and this is after all, a thirty minute show, what do you want from us? Sharing of food and resources among social groups, the extended care time for our young, the development of art, and of course language have played a huge role in shaping our species and our societies. And perhaps we'll have to do a second episode about the evolution of Homo sapiens at a later date.
0: Right. And even then we really wouldn't be able to, you know, cover everything. And learning Not about that would take forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least at least forty five. But, uh, but I think also that learning about our development as animals is, is a good thing just because it reminds us that as, as unique as we are as humans, we aren't really that special in the scheme of things. You know, just as all creatures that still survive today, we are the product of evolution, you know, driven by envirom- environmental change. Then it's been a series of sort of fortunate genetic adaptations like our strong legs for walking upright or our precision grimp thanks to our opposable thumbs and, you know, the development of these large and complex brains that have sort of paved the way for how we've been able to develop into the dynamic and very unique humans of today.
1: But where we are today as animals is pretty incredible. We have come... So far from our early stages, from Homo habilis. Somehow we went from thumbs to smartphones, simple language to complex symbolizations, and from walking upright to walking with advanced prosthetic legs. So how did this happen?
0: And, and does the invent of all this technology and our, you know, the, the excels of our society mean that we've sort of taken control of our own evolution? Like, are we on a path to circumventing evolutionary forces completely? No, I don't think so. But the question is sounds like something an
1: evil villain would say. (laughs) Right. Ha ha ha.
0: But I think the question is still a very powerful one, you know, to like where where are we? How have we come this far and so fast? And the adaptations that are now contributing to our survival are indeed sort of shifting from the purely biological responses to including cultural and technological influences.
1: This evolutionary shift is an incredible discussion, and one that Kira and I will, and hopefully Jefferson, will actually be tackling in the first season of our new podcast, which we hope to release at the beginning of next year.
0: Yes, not the entire season, but hopefully one episode in that season. Um, And to get our podcast off the ground, we've sure got our work cut out for us. So we'll actually be cutting back on how many live episodes of Everything is Interesting that we air each month. Starting in June, we will air this live show here on X-Ray, Wednesdays at 8.30am on the second and the fourth weeks of each month, rather than every week like we've been doing. So
1: thank you for listening, and stay tuned to Everything is Interesting here on X Ray every other week for more information and updates about the podcast as they develop. And as always, check out our website, everythingisinteresting.org, to see what's new.
0: Thanks, Jefferson, for always being game to learn something new with us.
2: And thank you half as much as we used to think.
0: Oh, but no. it hasn't an- And thanks Jeez. infinity more thanks, <laughs>
2: thanks, <laughs> thanks for the upcoming podcast.
0: Yeah, there's gonna, it's going to be great. Also, thanks, thanks infinity. Thanks to our producers, Anna and Nick, as always, back there behind the scenes doing awesome stuff. Um, I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. See you in two weeks for the next episode of Everything is Interesting.